The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi portfolio managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, we made it, my friends. Another week under our belt. Boy, oh boy, 2022 uh, is off to a horrific start. Uh, The worst performance uh, for the first, I think, 19 days of the year uh, in history. In history. Who would have thought? Uh, well, it's all about rising interest rates, and uh, the market is a little bit concerned about that. Some profit-taking, inflation concerns, growth concerns, uh, geopolitical tension thrown into the equation. Indeed, my good friends, uh, I shall say that we will survive. Um, do not let this market spin you round and get my music queued up for the rest of the show as well. Uh, a few cues there for you on that. Uh, Amos Nodler, uh, research scientist. He's a scientist. Uh, that's new of uh, an opera discussion about that. Um, he's with, uh, is it Poise, uh, Wealth Tech? Uh, poise. Like having Poise. poise. Yeah, oh, poise. Yes, poise. Uh, almost happy New Year, my friend. Uh, welcome back, you PhD uh, scientist, huh? Uh, pourquoi scientist? <laughs> well, I'm glad this isn't a French test because I certainly wouldn't pass that. So, uh, yeah, basically, you build a foundation uh, of economics and statistics, and you change some of the assumptions, and you get real people. So, so the background of the scientific approach to what we're doing in the wealth space is that we understand how people behave. We understand where they are being rational, where they're being irrational. Uh, your breakdown, Wolf, I, I really enjoyed of identifying the macro factors that could be affecting individuals. And uh, some people are just reacting. They say, oh, Russia this, interest rate that, inflation that, and they just react to it. Uh, but the science behind it is understanding what would be a rational reaction to these factors, understanding what's the real impact on cash flows and therefore valuation. And what we're doing is we're disentangling the, the behavioral aspects from the fundamental aspects investing, uh, which is what you guys do every day with your clients. We're, we're just doing a computational way and giving tools that uh, could be used by wealth managers. Uh, I'm very intrigued. Um, you are your own worst enemy uh, in the world of finance. Uh, a 30,000-foot view can be so helpful. Uh, and don't take it from me, take it from the Mutual of Omaha, Jack's grandfather, uh, Mr. Warren Buffett. Um, you know, remove the emotion, but that is so difficult to do because we are humans and uh, things change, people don't. So speak to us about this. What are the obvious mistakes that you have learned through emotional behavior that people have made and how can we better help them avoid such mistakes in the future almost in the managed wealth space it's it's more of a relationship that you guys have with your client and i imagine that a lot of your conversations are talking people down off of the cliff because they're scared does that sound right like a big proportion of the conversations you guys have with clients is about that 
I would say on an interesting question, because every time the market has a hissy fit, as it is mm-hmm. right now, we it, it's remarkable as, as an advisor, because when you learn, you actually have some very powerful tools. Almost. You'll appreciate this. And, and they're, they're called contrarian indicators. It's those three to four percent of clients that get really moved by the media and the market reactions that they end up calling us. And, and yeah, we have to hold their hand. It, it's, it's a small portion of our business, but you, you know what the anecdotal scientific evidence is, if that's um, uh, not a contradiction of terms, but it, it's when those individuals call us, they don't call us on the first down day, they call us on the 12th down day. Um, mm-hmm. And once the, the, the news is so bad that they really get rattled. And that's usually pretty close to a turning point. And, and, and the, the facts are quite high. We, we Jack and I, when the market begins to weaken, we say we need those calls. Uh, oh, they're not calling us, and, and so the market's mm-hmm. going lower. I, I kid you not, we, we, we have those discussions in, in-house, and there's, there's science behind it. Uh, so contrarian indicators. Um, so can you speak to that? I would just add before you jump in there almost. Um, mm-hmm. We also have levels of contrarian indicators. It's almost like I, I see the wolf thing. It's like a a five alarm fire. It doesn't start at a five alarm fire. It's the first call, then the second. And it's pretty predictable, um, the, the sequence of events and who you would expect to call at these various levels. The other thing that we're seeing almost, uh, not only are people afraid of the market, uh, people have cash sitting on the sidelines. They wait around for it. I'm waiting for a correction. A correction comes. It's been the worst January uh, in history, the first 17 days, whatever the number is. Um, and when they have cash, they want to see it go lower because now uh, all those things that Wolfgang talked about at the beginning of the show are real. And you need the mm-hmm. market. The market needs to have a real story for it to go down 5, 10, 15, 20%. It has to be believable. But mm-hmm. as Wolfgang said, over the long term, you buy good quality assets and you, you stick with the, the process, uh, Oracle of Omaha style, uh, it tends to work out for you. Uh, yeah, I agree. Empirically, if you look at, at the uh, the papers that basically simulate what a portfolio would look like for your typical investor who does, whether it's a buy and hold or, or even something like a dollar cost average, uh, where they're making regular allocations, those tend to outperform most retail strategies. So if people didn't have advisors and they're trying to do it on themselves, like to, to you know execute their own strategies, uh, about 90% of people wreck and lose the grand majority of their wealth. Uh, and stop doing it. They just get so battered around by the market. Uh, and so there, there's wisdom to having somebody with experience to talk to, like you guys provide. And if somebody wants to do it alone, then they have the onus of having to control their own emo- emotions and impulses, which is really difficult. So I think that you guys, uh, you know, as, as advisors and as, as consultants, offer tremendous value to people because they have to cross-check their impulses with you. And that's the trouble in the retail space. And this is... Um, where a lot of the research has been done, a lot of the science is people don't have a plan, they don't have a mandate, they don't have an investment policy statement, and they don't know what most of those things mean. And so they're just left to their own, you know, kind of shooting from the hip, which tends to, to destroy most traders. So I think you guys are doing something really valuable. And, and I think if you have tools that can show people, you know, for example, performance over the long term, being, you know, the phrase time in the market versus timing the market, that's been a popular phrase lately. I think the evidence is there. Um, it may not be as sexy or as exciting, but if you care about long-term growth, then do that, you know, turn your dividend reinvestment on and call it a day. You know, almost it gets down to mindset um, and uh, philosophy and belief and style. 
Um, so mm-hmm. you know, we'll, 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 we'll work off the word style, investment style, and 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 and, and that gets developed and honed uh, and and tested and retested uh, scientifically and and and, and unscient- in an unscientific manner over time. Um, and uh, that's exactly what Jack and I have have and are working through. We'll continue to work through. No different than than Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. They adapt and adjust over time. If you read their work, you'll you'll hear their language. Language change. I'm speaking, you know, every decade or so. And but the, the belief system that, that I, I try to instill amongst our select group of clients. Um, and by the way, if you want to be one of those select group of clients, you can contact Jack and I at WolfgangKlein.com. Have to get that in there. Uh, a little uh, shameless self promotion. Why not? Uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, uh, I'll pay taxes. Don't worry. Lots of them. Um, but the, the philosophy, I digress. The philosophy that we, we, we subscribe to is one, that you, you need to have more money than you need so that when the market does go down, uh, it doesn't affect your sleep factor. So how much money do I need? More is better. Period. Never have a financial plan running to full bore where you're at the limits. In other words, don't retire early because it's going to put you closer to the edge of margin that could cause you to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. I've seen it happen. Uh, Not frequently, but I hate seeing it happen. Um, So you have to end up in a position of retirement where you have more than you need. Uh, How much more? You won't like my answer, but the answer is double. Why? Because every 10 years, the market falls 50%. And doing the wrong thing at the wrong time will devastate a financial plan. So you have to be able to weather test. You have, you know, engineers, I think I'm fascinated with aviation. And I speak to pilots about the safety of aircraft all the time. The level of redundancy in an aircraft is about three. Every system that they have is redundant three times to make sure that there's fail-safe mechanisms in place. And at least they have a co-pilot on all planes. And guess what? So do I. His name is Jack Hartle, an amazing co-pilot. Um, <laughs> putting rings around your money. But, so if you have more than you need and the market falls, who cares? You still have enough money. Uh, the second thing is the only thing to do when the market is down. Well, there's two things you can do when the market is down. And one thing you should never do when the market's down. The never is sell. The thing you should do when the market is down is either nothing, which is something, or buy. Uh, again, so still, and then the last thing, Jack, I'm going to say to you, and, and you got me into this Kool-Aid, and I like it, and that's through your relationship with Fidelity Investments down out of Boston, um, and, and take me to one of their presentations, Jack. And, and one of the managers said he plays the game differently than the average portfolio manager who's worried about the next quarter. If you can extend your time horizon, Beyond five years, all of a sudden, the world and the path is a little smoother. Tell me what's going to happen next week. Good luck. Tell me if, if, if things are going to be better and more valuable in five and ten years. I'll take that bet. So, look, we're talking almost Nadler. We're talking about money. We're talking about emotions. We want you to have more of it. And Jack and I are here to help you have more wealth. That's where we bring on such smart guests like almost Nadler, PhD, uh, scientist, ec- economist, um, working on systems to help uh, Jack and I uh, better manage money. Software we're talking about, uh, probably SaaS to boot. Uh, take a quick break, get right back to the show. Hi-Fi Radio, money show about money on 640 Toronto. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yeah, dance floor, in and around that era. Uh, <laughs> indeed, the market can do that. It can spin you around. Don't let it. Do not let the market spin you around. Uh, and again, uh, do-it-yourself investors. Jack and I see it all the time. And you know what happens when you spin around too much? Jack, what happens when you spin around too much? Well, you get dizzy and fall down, Wolf. Perfect. Good answer, my friend. I knew you'd do it. Pop quiz. Good for you. You passed. Um, Amos Nadler, uh, he's a research scientist uh, with Poise Wealth Tech. Uh, worked on some software uh, to, I guess, disseminate fact from fiction, emotion from uh, quantitative investing. Uh, pleasure to have our friend Amos on uh, the show. Uh, he teaches us so much. So, uh, Amos, uh, Tell us, what are your indicators speaking to right here to retail investors as this month of January uh, has been one that can certainly spin people around? Uh, absolutely. Gosh, we you really queued this up perfectly, Wilson. I appreciate it. Uh, we are technically in stealth, but coming out very shortly. But you know what? Let's just share with the world one of our prized algos. And this one is called our uh, panic selling algorithm. And what it does is exactly what you're talking about, is it's able to look through trading records of whether it's a financial advisor who made made the recommendation or a retail investor or could be a hedge fund, any kind of financial institution. And it's able to detect when people are doing exactly what you're warning everybody against. So uh, we can look through your trading records and see, okay, this is a panic sell. This is not, you know, buying the dip. It's the opposite of buying the dip. And we're able to do it Historically, so from the very beginning of the account, we can detect when people freaked out, sold their assets, and here's the really cool part that I think really brings it all together. It's not just saying, oh, you know, I caught you doing this. It's saying, and here is the impact that specific habit has on your portfolio. Think you about know, Jack, and I, Jack and I got a call from, an, from, from, from a, a prospect, um, mm-hmm. and this individual informed us that this prospect, who's now you know the, the senior citizen, has had in his mm-hmm. time thirteen different advisors. Mm. Thirteen advisors over what a forty-year investing career. That means every three or four years, fire and hire a new advisor, uh, which tells me uh, there's panic selling going on there and there's greed purchasing going on there. So a panic selling, a panic selling indicators. It's interesting almost because uh, Tony Dwyer, uh, our chief strategist. 
uh, frequently on BNN uh, and 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 uh, uh, CNBC. Uh, love Tony Dwyer, and, and we bring him on this call frequently. He's an like amazing Wall Street strategist, the best as far as I'm concerned. Um, and and he uses stochastic, which are basically just uh, uh, fast uh, fast moving averages, uh, ten and twenty day stochastic, uh, to look for overbought and oversold markets. But that's that's in real time, and that's talking about the broad market. Um, is your panic selling uh, algorithm real time, or is this historic looking on a client by client basis? Uh, to i.e. institution, hedge fund, uh, retail investor, uh, on a historic basis or on a real time basis? That's the magic. Is I, the first part of the analytics is his, is identifying the degree to which people do this. Uh, the magic comes from pairing it with your order execution. So prior to making a decision, the algos can detect and say, oh, this looks a lot like a panic sell. And then mm. basically what we do is, and this comes from the uh, years and years of, of working in the lab that I, I worked in as a, in a neuroeconomic where we, we try to understand how the brain works. And one trick that you can use is try to engage different parts of the brain, like neuroanatomically. And instead of allowing people's amygdala, which is the fear emotion center of the brain, we try to engage the prefrontal cortex for executive function. And we say, think about this. What is your motivation? What is your desired outcome? People still have the choice. If you want to do it, they can. But if you're able to kind of stop a friend before they do something stupid, it's meant to do that. So it says, you have a habit of such and such. You're about to make an order that looks a lot like such and such. <laughs> These have been the consequences of such and such. Do you see where I'm going wow. with this? So it's, it's like the one source of truth is your historical data, and we, we get in the way by providing a cognitive speed bump before you, you know, basically hurt yourself with another bad decision. So that's the magic of those two features put together that uh, we have ready. Very fascinating. Yeah, Jack, what do you think of that? I think it's interesting because it's exactly the opposite of what a lot of these online free brokerages promote. They're, they're <laughs> yeah. gamifying the system. Point. Look at a Robinhood, and they're under uh, regulatory scrutiny right now. Um, you know, sounds, bright lights, colors. Using yeah, why, Jack? Why are they under scrutiny? Pardon me. Why are they under scrutiny, Jack? The the, the uh, free trading platforms. What are they being? What are they being? Uh, promotes, yeah, but it, it promotes excessive trading, right? So almost is trying to put a speed bump, put a little thought in before you make a trade, whereas sounds, bright lights, colors, sounds like a casino to me. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely fascinating stuff. That's uh, almost, um, let's talk about something that, that I'm, I'm intrigued by. Again, I, I had a, a prospective investor uh, in my office recently, and we we're just talking about you know investment philosophy. And they, they mentioned uh, their, their young son is now poking fun at their, dodgy parents as their young son mm -hmm. is trading non-fungible tokens uh, mm -hmm. and $10,000 into $50,000. I know virtually nothing about NFTs. I, I've read some papers on them. I've gone online a little bit. Uh, but there's, there's some weird stuff going on there, guys. It's, you know, the, the, these images that, that are being promoted and that move in price. I don't totally get it. Um, yeah, what, do you, what can you share with the audience, and, and, and how can you educate me a bit more further on what is going on in NFTs? Absolutely. So I was, a, I was chief economist for a crypto firm for about two years, and so I spent a lot of time looking at uh, digital assets and cryptocurrencies and blockchain and, and that whole new world. And if you think of what NFTs are, they, they're trying to do something very interesting. They're trying to create scarcity of something that is essentially totally replicable and non-scarce, like a JPEG of LeBron James dunking or 
a bunny rabbit or whatever. And so I find it so fascinating in this day and age, the scarcity is completely fake. And, and the value of this NFT, of this non-fungible token, is that this is the one and only frame of, a, you know, of Kill Bill or whatever. And, and they're trying to create some value associated with that. So I find that fascinating, uh, whether it lasts and whether, uh, you know, the word bubble is such a loaded term and people get very upset if you call their area of, you know, a, a bubble. But there's change that's happening so fast. So it's crypto, NFTs, metaverse and on and on, that it's difficult to kind of keep up analytically with what's going on in the public sphere. But I am stodgy and old school in a lot of ways that believe that fundamentals are like the laws, like economic fundamentals are like the laws of gravity. Eventually, they're going to catch up and eventually the truth bears out. Right now, you know, those of us saying that look like, you know, crusty old men, but just, just kind of wait and see. Like you can't keep things in abeyance forever. And the Fed matters. And, you know, the interest rate matters. And those things ultimately will prevail. So, you know, I would really to tell amidst the chaos, but that's, that's my kind of economist uh, take on it, that we can, you know, fly for so long until gravity takes over. No, I appreciate that. And sorry to, to, to chop in there on you. To no hear you. Um, but, you know, again, in, I was just getting ready for bed and uh, make myself look pretty. Uh, I was thinking. And I said, you know, what is it I do? Uh, you know, when I buy Royal Bank and uh, Microsoft and Google and Facebook uh, and the like. And what I'm doing is, is I'm investing in a business that produces cash. And next year, I want the business to produce more cash. And is it so I'm buying something that's producing cash and it has to do something with that cash. It can give it to me. It can it can build a business and, and produce even more cash. Um, it, the, that is investing, uh, producing something that is generating cash. And, and that is the fundamental of it all. And that is, so that's why things matter. If the economy improves and you own good businesses, they will produce more cash. And it's your cash, my friends. If you're the investor, it's your cash. Uh, when, you, when you step outside that logic uh, and, 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 and trying to create value with something that, that is um, infinite, where, where it's highly reckless, rec replicable makes no sense to me what i what i do understand almost is um creating an nft a non-fungible token out of something that is scarce i.e I, I always go back to the mona lisa the mona lisa attracts millions upon millions of dollars of tourist business into france there is a huge mm -hmm. cash you could you could generate or calculate how much cash flow that that, that mona lisa painting pulls into the city of paris so to sell that or to convert that into a token and be an owner of that, I understand because it's backed by something. But the, but the old American dollar was once backed by gold. Currency was once backed by gold. So an NFT backed by the Mona Lisa or something that is completely scarce, I get. Beyond that, I don't get it. If you're just tuning in to the show, it is Hi-Fi Radio uh, on 640 in Toronto. I have to stop myself on that one. And uh, indeed – Show about money each and every Saturday night right here on AM640. Uh, Amos Nadler, a good friend of ours, frequently on the show, PhD, economist, scientist, uh, helping us all manage money better and uh, keeping the enemy at bay. Who's the enemy? It's you and I. Uh, we have to continuously fight with our emotions and to try to uh, disengage uh, from that and think about business because we are business owners if we're investors. Um, but to, almost let's uh, 
let's let's just conclude uh, in in the world that we live in. Uh, What's your best advice for 2022 for investors? I think that we live in two worlds as investors. I think that you need to live in the world that I I think the philosophy that you guys promote and and keep kind of espousing is fundamentals, you know, kind of Buffett, Graham, a leg in the other world, which is the behavioral world of fantasy, of beliefs, of emotions. Because even Warren Buffett, who's given the kind of pedestal of the, the quintessential value rational investor, when they make investments, they're not just buying on the open market. They're buying, you know, private deals or OTC or whatever. And they're also, they have a, an entry path for the price that they have. And I think that if, if you're actively managing, you need to live in both of those worlds because the businesses are functioning as businesses, which are, by the way, their cash flows are much more stable than the prices of those, those businesses. And I, and I highly recommend you remember that, that difference, that equity prices fluctuate dramatically more than the cash flows of the businesses. And so if you feel like you've been thrown around by geopolitics or prices or whatever it may be, go back to the fundamentals. And if you have any questions or uncertainty, have an intelligent conversation with someone who understands what's going on and don't be pr- too proud to do that. Because you know, you're making a very incredible point almost. So, I, you know, I, I, I think your point needs to be repeated. The difference between mm-hmm. the market price of, of, of the company versus the actual business of the company. The business can be pretty darn stable and the market mm-hmm. price, because of us, people, humanoids, the market price can be all over the map. And it is remarkable to see a stock's trading range over a 52-week period. Hey, Doc, we see this in our research packages all the time. The range of a stock over a 52-week period, it is wide for even the most stable mm-hmm. of businesses. So, again, you can certainly take advantage of that. But, again, friends, again, how the best way to take advantage of that stuff is, is, is this sure-fired method. And, almost you said it right at the beginning of our interview, dollar cost averaging. How often and when should you invest and save? Every paycheck, period. It's simple, and it'll work guaranteed. You do that for 25 years. You save and invest. You can't just save and leave it in the bank. You're going to lose money, my friends. Inflation will eat away at that. You must invest always, continuously. 25 years, you will be rich, I promise, as long as you do enough. How much? Do a grand a month. Run the numbers. You'll be very happy. Uh, Amos Nadler, PhD, Chief Research Scientist, Poise Wealth Tech, uh, focus on applied behavioral finance. That's cool stuff. Uh, we're talking more about cryptocurrency. Michael Graham, Managing Director, Senior Equity Analyst, covering the internet, gaming, and digital asset sector for over 25 years. Looking forward to getting caught up with one of our key analysts at Canaccord. It's a pleasure. It's a delight. It's a privilege. Stay tuned. You're going to learn something. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. At first I was afraid, I was petrified, kept thinking I could never live without you by my side. But then I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong. one every now and then my friends but uh i will survive and so will you just hang with us and we'll help you do that uh michael graham managing director senior equity analyst at canaccord genuity he covers internet gaming and the digital assets sector 
25 years of investment experience. I used to be a sell-side internet analyst at Robertson Stevens uh, in the internet 1.0 boom in the 90s. 1.0. I'm going to start with that, Mr. Michael Graham, managing director. Uh, Where are we at now? Internet, what, (laughs) 17.0? Hey, Wolfgang, it's great to to speak with you. Thanks for having me on. I mean, well, there's a ton of talk about, you know, Web3. I mean, we're not quite at 17 yet, but, you know, there, there's a ton of, um, you know, sentiment around the idea that Web1 was, um, you know, sort of just like um, uh, read, you know. Uh, it's a fad. It's a fad. Web2 was sort of like, you know, write, like create things, the social media, you know, Facebook, Instagram. Um, and Web3 is, you know, uh, touted as the era of own. Um, it sort of moves us away from advertising a little bit into other, you know, monetization elements. It brings in crypto. Um, it brings in, you know, decentralization and sort of ownership of consumer data back to the consumers instead of, you know, um, with the big social media companies. So it's an exciting time in the development of the Internet for sure. You know, you know what's interesting um, the, the, the phrase, and again, I, I have a marketing degree, uh, target marketing was the phrase in the 80s. You got to target market. And so, uh, you know, media would, of course, uh, come up with some pretty loose stats as to who their target audience was. Never did I expect such collection of data and hence targetability. Like, oh, you know, every now and then Jack says, Wolf, I can't believe the advertisements that pop into my uh, inbox uh, after I was just looking for something. It, like, it freaks people out, uh, I have to say, uh, Mr. Graham, but uh, probably for another conversation. Uh, what about the metaverse? Um, uh, how does that tie in? And, and what's your play on Meta? And I don't mean the, yeah. the company. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I mean, metaverse is part and parcel, you know, in my mind of, of Web3 um, you know, metaverse to me is, is a continuation of a spectrum. You know, what is the uh, percentage of your daily social interactions that occurs in person? And um, obviously, you know, before uh, the telephone, it was, you know, 100%. And then we had the telephone, then we had, you know, other media, then we had the Internet, then we had social media, you know, all those things, you know, gaming all those things have taken your your personal interactions and moved them, you know, more towards a digital perspective. Uh, and now here we are with, with these alternative worlds, you know, Decentraland, um, you know, other, you know, metaverse environments where, you know, people are going in and, 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 and living and earning and um, evolving, you know, all digitally without really ever, you know, seeing other people. Um, this is going to keep going. You know, it's just a natural byproduct of technology. Um, but to me, the metaverse is more of a, you know, a continuation on a spectrum than it is sort of a defining, uh, you know, boundary. Um, I do think that, you know, some of the key building blocks of the metaverse, like some of the gaming technologies and the NFTs, um, you know, those are things that we can track, you know, a little more closely. And, and that's, um, you know, that's something that we're keeping a close eye on. When it comes to Facebook and Meta, um, you know, we, our, our team is bullish on, on Facebook. I mean, we just put out a, an earnings preview on all the advertising names. We sort of highlighted that we think, you know, there are some good 
uh, momentum fundamentally still um, at Facebook slash Meta, although we did say we like Google a little bit better in the short term. But, you know, longer term, I think the key question is, like one of the key drivers behind Web3 is moving the, the data, you know, and sort of some of the power into the hands of the network users and away from the big corporation, right? And, um, you know, that's really what we're keeping an eye on here as we move forward. We had Michael Hainsworth on our show. I want you to meet him one day. He used to be a, a, a one of the hosts on BNN. Um, he's now doing his own thing. Um, very, very futuristic, tech-oriented. Uh, augmented reality um, and glasses coming out of Apple. Uh, says, uh, coolest stuff on the planet. Uh, $600 gets you apparently a really cool set, headset that allows you to participate, I guess, in the augmented world. Uh, what's your take on that, Michael? Um, I mean, you, you look at, you know, what, what Facebook did with Oculus and you look at what, um, you know, Apple's doing with some of its hardware products. Like, like the hardware um, is an important part of the metaverse. Uh, it's the way, you know, that, that you interact with the metaverse. And I think you're going to see, you know, tons of ongoing development there, you know, ways to, you know, augment virtual reality, you know, for, you, you know, your whole your whole body and your whole existence. And, you know, that's going to keep going for a long time. You know, there are other big elements as well. Like one of those is just like the content um, and another one and the communities. Um, and a big one and where, you know, crypto really comes in is the economic engine. You know, how do you create an economy in the metaverse? Um, what is the currency, uh, you know, and, and how do you measure and mark and store value in the metaverse? And that's where, you know, that's an important element of the whole crypto movement. Not the only element, but it's an important element of the whole crypto movement. You know, the economic engine of Web 1 and Web 2 was essentially advertising. Mm -hmm. The economic engine of Web 3, you know, has the potential to be something different. Yeah, it's amazing because that's exactly what it was. Again, it came from the advertising word world, Michael. And every time a new uh, company popped up, I would ask, what's the revenue model? Oh, it's advertising. <laughs> it was a crap. I said, is this, is this internet a one-trick pony? Um, it's going to be interesting to see, of course, how it moves forward. And it went far beyond advertising, let's face it. And again, let's go back to the targetability of it and the interaction that we have all witnessed has been Absolutely remarkable. Uh, let's talk about the market specifically. Ooh, uh, NASDAQ uh, down double digits for the year so far. S&P, worst performance. The worst 19-day start, Michael, uh, in the history of tracked markets. This is the worst 19-day start in the history of the market. Uh, this is big debate. Gross stocks are out. Value stocks are in. Um, Michael, uh, speak to us, the, the carnage that your sector has witnessed. And you know, I'll tell you, if I may throw on the table, I, I miss Richard Davis a lot. Because uh, he used to always, you know, the, and he was a great tech analyst that we had. But when, when techs were getting thrown out the window, he said, oh, yes, everyone's going to fly back to the cyclicals, only to realize that they're cyclicals, as opposed to, you know, companies that got decades of legs in front of them. The names I really like, and I mean, you cover, of course, is Google. Best thing you could have done with Google, my friend, bought it in 2000 and then nothing else. Uh, so Michael, I want you to think about that question or that series of questions. Let's take a quick break, pay some bills around here as they sell some advertising. Get right back to the show. Michael Graham, Managing Director, Senior Equity Analyst covering the internet, gaming, and digital assets at Canaccord. A delight to have him on the show. Stay tuned. It's going to be great. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. 
You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Managing Director, Senior Equity Analyst at Canaccord. I have to ask you out of the gate here, Michael, uh, back in your day when you were doing the hustle, that beginning part, real slow, was that like slow dance, then you start to, you know, shake your booty? I, I, I was going to say, this is a dance song. <laughs> Don't want to see me doing the hustle, that's for sure. I can promise you that. <laughs> you know, if, if Jack ever does the hustle, stay away, man. That leg with his flies, he'll knock you over. Um, Michael Graham, one of our tech analysts, uh, covers names like Airbnb, Google, DraftKings, Lyft, four names, uh, three of the four names that Jack and I do own. Uh, I've been getting my head handed to me, Michael. I have to, you know, cry on your shoulders a little bit. I'm kidding. I'm a big boy. Um, but it's been tough. Uh, certainly your space has been under fire. Uh, I, think gold, I think oil, by the way, Michael Green, is going to 150. Uh, you can talk to your tech friends about that in the laugh at you. But uh, I do think oil is going to 150, which is the exact opposite of what you do. But I like what you do in that I believe your space is best. Don't do the hustle. Find the great names and hang on to them. If you did that with Facebook, Google, Apple, Microsoft, you'd be very pleased. Over you know, a 30-year period, it could go flat for a long time. But when they wake up, they wake up. I remember watching Microsoft go dead money. Michael, what, 10 years, 12 years from 2000 to 2008? Dead money, uh, softy. And now everyone wants it once again. Uh, so they can go quiet and dormant for a long time. But let's speak about your space, the value that's been presented as it's corrected and become cheaper to purchase. Good place to start buying. What names do you like for the long haul? What do you think of that growth versus value trade that's going on? Talk to us, Michael. Yeah, you, you, you mentioned, you know, our, 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 our strategist, Tony Dwyer, is, is sort of saying, um, you know, a choppy first half and then a better second half, like a, a paraphrasing, you know, grossly, but yeah. you know, that's kind of his view. And um, I, I, I subscribe to that. I think we're still going to be in a period of choppiness, but I also think that, you know, the valuations in tech and especially in Internet uh, have got to a pretty attractive level here. Um, and, you know, like you said, like we are always looking for, you know, the leaders where we think we can have upward estimate revisions. And, you know, you, you ticked off a few of the stocks that we still like here, Wolfgang. You know, we, we like Google, Facebook. We like Amazon. Um, we, uh, we like uh, DraftKings, as you mentioned. Um, and, and there are others as well. You know, we still see um, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of movement in online advertising and e-commerce and some of those leaders. We don't feel like there's any reason to kind of jump off of those at this stage. Um, you, know, e- you know, even stocks like Uber and Lyft, which, um, you know, are really kind of just in my mind, they're like coiled springs, you know, waiting for the Omicron variant to, you know, go away and for the sort of economy to fully reopen. You know, I think those stocks are really interesting here. So, there's a lot of merchandise to, 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 to choose from in the tech sector right now, um, in the internet sector. So it's a, it's a pretty good time to be, you know, looking hard at, at some of these stocks and, you know, picking some, some favorites. Yeah, help, help me out here with some math, Michael. You know, it's incredible because um, when looking at businesses, you have to try to value the company uh, and then see what it's trading at. And if it's trading below where you think the company is worth, you can buy the stock. That's sort of what you do. But every sector is valued differently. 
How much so? It's actually incredibly wide. If you look at bank stocks, the financials, they, they, they make a lot of money and therefore trade at about 10 to 15 times earnings. The tech sector doesn't make a lot of money. It sells a lot of stuff, and the names you need to own are companies that can grow 30, 40, 50% top line. But those names, then, again, don't make money and therefore trade off of a multiple to sales as opposed to earnings. No, top line. I really like bottom line. I'm a bottom line guy. But when you buy tech, you got to think differently if you want to get a piece of it. Top line earnings. Um, let's, let's help me out with some math here, Michael. Uh, multiple to sales. How the market got to, I think, 30 times sales, which is stupid. It's corrected significantly. Uh, I'm seeing more than like 10 times sale. I think prop valuation is seven times sales. But take me back, if you don't mind, to um, uh, Google. When it IPO'd, it came out, I think it started trading $85. Any idea what the multiple to sales was back then? Because uh, again, it, it wasn't making a lot of money, I don't think, when it went public at revenue, but I don't know if that earnings just yet. Well, it was really high when it first came public. I mean, remember, like the, the monetization really sort of lagged, uh, you know, the, the growth in users and, and everything. And um, you know, you, you've seen the multiple kind of fluctuate wildly over time, um, but definitely it's at a more attractive level here. I mean, the thing that, that your commentary, you know, sort of, you know, it begs the question around growth because, um, you know, you definitely are going to have higher multiples like that for the companies that are growing more quickly. And Google has settled into, you know, more of a, more of a more modest growth profile here. It's sort of, you know, growing at the pace of, you know, digital advertising, basically, uh, you know, plus a little bit more. Um, so, you know, the multiple on Google, you know, you're going to have, you know, it's, you're going to expect it to be a little lower than, you know, Facebook, which is growing a little more quickly, and you're going to expect it, that to be lower than, you know, say, DraftKings, which is growing a lot more quickly. So as a whole, the multiples in the group have come way down, and that's what we think, you know, it's been painful, but it also creates some opportunity. Um, help, again, help me out here, Michael. Um, uh, Google, a.k.a. Alphabet, and uh, Facebook, a.k.a. Meta platforms, uh, the, the P, they actually have an E now under their P. So the, the P ratio of these names and the growth rate of each company is what? For Facebook, it was, you know, slash Meta, you know, a PE of, of 23 times, uh, 2022 mm -hmm. uh, earnings. Uh, you know, the yep. PE for Google is 25 times. And, you know, the growth rate for Facebook uh, or Meta is 19%, and the Facebook for Google is 17%. As far as I'm concerned, they're cheap stocks. Uh, they, those are very simple, investable companies. They're grow Look at the rate they're growing at, 15 to 20%. They trade at 23 times earnings. I can get my head around that. And I think there's reasonable value there that we can actually uh, make some reasonable investments as opposed to speculative trades. Uh, the latter is a mugs game, my good friend. Trust me on that. Michael Graham, Managing Director, Senior Equity Analyst. You're uh, a real uh, uh, asset to have and a real friend uh, as well. I can't thank you enough for spending time with us on Saturday night, my good man. Uh, Jack Hartle, great job setting up the guests, producing the show. I appreciate your efforts each and every week. Uh, my co-pilot, Mr. Jack Hartle, that's a great, a great relationship that we have to offer you. Any questions, WolfgangKlein.com. If not, we'll spend time with you next Saturday night right here on 640 in Toronto. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.
The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.